Welcome to the James Well Radio Show. Except this week, there is no James Well. I'm Rob. I'm normally the person that uh, sorts all the techie stuff out, that puts the show together, does the editing, puts the beeps in when James uh, drops the occasional um, F-bomb. But unfortunately, he's looking after Melinda this week, and he can't do the show. I think everything should be back to normal next week, fingers crossed. He should be back on his talk radio show on Monday. But where does that leave this week's show? Well, I've put together something, um, some of the usual things like tech talk, a bit of music, questions for the whale, except there is no whale, so it'd be questions for me, I suppose. For the main body of the show, I was thinking, well, what can I put in the show that has James in that a lot of people might not have heard before? And one of the things that uh, we discussed was his interview he did with the uh, legendary Spike Milligan on depression. So I thought we'd kick the show off with that, and I'll see you on the other side. James Well, the voice of reason on the James Well Radio Show. I want, I, I want to ask an obvious question, first of all, really, because we're talking about depression and why people feel down a lot of the time, and why perhaps sometimes the funniest people... I mean, I was, I was thinking particularly at that moment of Tony Hancock, who was a very tragic man, very very sad man, but one of the funniest ever. It just would appear to be that uh, funny people are, are depressives. If you take out the head count in the world, you find that is not the case. You find they are in a minimal. A little, little, yeah. yeah. They're, they're minimalist, but it just so happens, you know, people seem to latch onto that, you know. It's the classic reinvention of the story of uh, the clown, the sad clown. It goes back to Pagliaccio. But you said... Somewhere I read, you said that the, the goon show took more out of you and upset you more than practically anything you ever did. Yet, yeah, that's something well, that Well, it only in... contributed to the fact that during the war I'd been blown up and called battle, for, uh, battle fatigue, mm. or in the old world terms, bomb, bomb happy. And uh, it was aggravated by the tremendous intensity of amount of work that I put into writing the goon show. I used to write for 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day, and at any time... I was obsessed with writing them. Did you feel that, that perhaps the, the powers that be and the people who, who, who uh, gave you the money, if you like, to do the shows, is now sometimes didn't really have a clue what was going on? Is that, was that upsetting you or not? Absolutely right. They hadn't a clue. I was called difficult. That's the word for manic depression with the BBC. Yeah, yeah. He's awfully difficult. Uh, and uh, I suppose in the long run, in the long run, when I was in a maniacal mood, I was actually turning over much better than when I wasn't. Do you, I mean, you know now, obviously, you didn't perhaps not then, but you know now that, that uh, manic depression is an illness and it's not, uh, there's no particular reason why sometimes... You oh, it's better like than an illness. It's the top one. Is it? Yes, yeah. I'm one of the top illnesses. Yes, it is. It's amazing how since, uh, since the last 50 years, suddenly realised there was this great strata of people with this illness which nobody seemed to accept as being rational. But now, of course, we have the Manic Depressive Fellowship, and uh, there's hundreds and thousands of people who are Manic Depressives. Do you know when you're going to... I mean, you seem quite high at the moment. I mean, do you, do you know when you're going to go into a, a down state? No. It, uh, there's no, no pre-warning at all. Suddenly, there it is. It's like an accident. You have a, you have a medical accident, and there you are. And it affects different people in different ways. Some people get tremendous highs over the top, and other people go very down like this. 
But there was a new drug called um, lithium, which is a godsend to many people. I'm on lithium, that's why I'm reasonably stabilized at the moment. Do, I mean, when, <laughs> when people have read about the fact that you've, you've been a psychiatric hospital from time to time, yeah. and when, when you're quite open about it, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't talk about it, obviously. Do they treat you in a slightly different way? Do they sort of say, oh, well, we won't worry too much about Spike because he can't help it, or...? I don't know, you see. I don't know what... There's two ways people approach me. They'd say, oh, I've seen you on television. And they would say, I know that you're a manic depressive. <laughs> Most of them say, oh, I've seen you on telly last night. I suggest, did you see me being a manic depressive? Oh, no. Well, there you go, I'd say. <laughs> when someone says, and, and they, uh, they do, because they say the silliest people, we all say the silliest things, but they say, come on, pull yourself together. Or, or close friends, you would say, come on, Liz, you haven't got anything to worry about. Why are you depressed about money and the end of the world? James, have you thought... What operation would you go about pulling yourself together? Where would you start pulling? <laughs> it's silly. It's no a silly. It's a what silly, you do, silly thing. Yeah. No, but it was a cliche. My father said, "Pull yourself together," and I said, I, "I'm I'm all in one piece, Dad. It's as close as I can get together will ever be." You meant me having this mm. depression and going away. Did your parents understand you? No, they're dead, so they're safe from it. They're safe. But yeah. when they were alive, did they understand you? When they're alive, no. My father. My mother understood it, yes, but my father, he thought I ought to pull Put yourself together. <laughs> Sorry about that, yes. I'm... Where are the straps? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you remember when you went into a psychiatric hospital, first of all, what it was like? Yes, I yes, it was Woodside Park Psychiatric Hospital, yeah. I remember that. I was a very bad, I was a very bad way, if you can mm. say that. And uh, decimated. I could hardly move, and they put me to sleep. I think of deep narcosis. They put you to sleep for three weeks. And that's supposed to end the trauma, children. Fortunately enough, it, it did. When I came to, I felt better. But I, I thought I'd been put to sleep for years because while I was asleep, they didn't shave me and I grew a beard. Mm. So I thought I was like a Rip Van Winkle. I thought, wait a minute, how long have I been in here? And they'd show me newspapers. I was like, these aren't today's newspapers. These are old ones. Said, well, how long have I been here? So in the end they got the radio and played it to me, but I didn't really, I thought I'd been in there forever. Mm. But terrifying feeling as well, yeah. When you first went in, you were already well known. Not, not, not quite, no. This is about 1953. Mm. Just starting to get well known. Like my mother and father were saying hello to me. <laughs> Did that have a difference, do you think? Because you read some tragic stories now of people who, who go into psychiatric hospitals yeah. and get forgotten. I'll tell you a story about Roehampton Priory. When I was in there, one of my loony jaunts, oh, you're coming back home again, they'd say. And I found a medical book. And this process was one of those. And in it, it was all admissions from 1850, but the book was locked. But I found a key and opened it. And in it was Lady Millington Singh admitted 1850. Uh, Dementia Precox. 1851 no change. 1853, no change. And it went like this until 1880. All she was her whole life was a series of entries in a book. I thought, my God, how tragic. Of course, they didn't know. They had mind-bending drugs in those mm. days that might have helped her. What about now, electric shock treatment and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, they put you under. It didn't do me any good. Uh, but I, I, did, I, did, I did say, well, they use as much electricity as possible because I had shares in 
eating electricity. <laughs> but it didn't. It didn't do anything for me at all. It put me out like this, and then you, you came to it. They, they meant well, but then so did Hitler. Yeah. There was... Um, there seemed to be a lot of tragedies, reading, reading interviews again about you, there seemed to have been a lot of tragedies in your life that, I mean, most people would have become depressed at. And it, it seems that they kind of built up as well. I never had any, James, I never had any different tragedy as such. Not like uh, being run over or having an accident, you know. It's, I suppose the manic depression is a bit of a tragedy in itself, but I never had, a, except from... Uh, a divorce from my first wife, uh, which I thought was a tragedy. Your second wife died. Yeah, that was, yes, that was a tragedy, of course. If you just remind me, I've forgotten about that. That's right, yeah. Well, I suppose I did have tragedies, yes. I mean, I also read somewhere that you were... How about World War Two as a tragedy? World War Two was Not a, a bad tragedy, one, eh? Of course, yes. Yeah. Um, how would you describe depression to somebody who's it, only ever been perhaps just a little like, sad? It's like suddenly... Something might trigger it off, like a, a cruel word, a cruel gesture, or something which upsets you. And you don't get upset like ordinary people. You go out of this world into, a, into this world of complete depression, and it robs you of all energy, all effort, and all sex drive. That's the thing they say in psychiatry. When your sex drive comes back, then you're cured. Well, mine has never come back. Well, mind you, I haven't driven it very far these days. <laughs> mine has never come back, but I, I am in a better state of mind than I used to be. The interesting thing, of course, is people are going to say, even when you're depressed, or work, you still are making people laugh. Yes. Usually at your own expense. I have, I have been on the stage in a mortal depression and, uh, and made them laugh. How or why, I don't know. Am I the consummate artist of all time? Are you? No, I was asking you the question. That was how it was. And, uh, and you... Another thing that happens with it, as there's nothing good happening in your life at all, nothing at all, you see all the nice things like your children through a, through a mist, you know, you're not really enjoying them like you should, you're in a depression, you're not enjoying your children, even though they're standing there, you're not enjoying them. The depression is too great, too overwhelming. And what happens is, you suddenly try to think away to things that were nice in your past, and the nostalgia is almost as huge as Quasimodo's hump. It's enormous, the nostalgia. The nostalgia is so great that it even depresses you even more. Because you're remembering of a good time and think, wait a minute, that good time is gone. It'll never come back again like this. There's an ominous weight, yeah. It's, it's, uh, that, that's how it affects me, mind you. I don't know how it affects anybody else. How do you think it affects your wife? It does affect her. She has to tread gently and just has to go on loving me. And I don't shout and scream or anything like that. I don't do anything that would frighten anybody. But she has to pay attention to me when I'm in bed. And see Some, I, sometimes some of the stories that have appeared about you, particularly about when you've, you've been depressed in the, in the news, have been very writing about you in a very sort of negative way. No, sometimes. I've never had any reporter be nasty to me. And my father was an old journalist, and he said, never turn a reporter away. 
and I put her away. You know, do you know what it's like to stand for 14 hours in the rain outside a house to try and get a story? So I've always been on good terms with, with the, the, the media, yeah, generally speaking, yeah. I, I also read that you were worried, you, you, you said uh, you, you, you couldn't save money, you had to go out, your overdraft was the next performance, I think, or something like that. I, did, I did run short of money, and uh, I kept getting this letter, continued from the bank, saying, you're overdrawn by a thousand pounds. So I would write back and tell them, thanks very much for telling me, you know. <laughs> then another one would come, and this went on for about four or five weeks, these letters were coming, and then they wrote to me, I don't think you understand, we're asking you to close this overdraft, you know. So I wrote and I said, listen, once a month, I put all my creditors' name on a piece of paper, <laughs> and I rolled up and I put them in a hat, I draw one out, and I pay off that bill. And I said, if you don't stop bothering me, I won't put your name in the bloody hat. What do they say? They haven't answered that one. <laughs> I think they're going to send me a hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that the fact that you feel so... I mean, you're, you're a, a committed vegetarian now. Yeah. And I, I wasn't committed. I mean, they didn't say I commit you to be a, a court Christian. No, but Spike you feel strongly I commit it. you to be a vegetarian. You feel very strongly about it. Yes, I do. I went and saw a, an animal veal calf and a chicken broiler unit. And I, I'm sorry, if you just want a little bit of sensitivity, you, you, I can't subscribe to this killing. And I've survived now for 15 years just eating vegetarian food. Mm. And look what happens to you, folks. <laughs> but people might say, you see, that this is all part of uh, the, the illness of depression, that, that everything becomes so much more acute to you. That you feel uh, everything more. I yes, mean, I'm concerned. I, am, I am very acutely aware of my environment. I'm, I, I like. I feel I'm a skin short. You know, I mm. feel cold before anybody else. Mm. I feel heat before anybody else. You know, like this. And uh, during the war, I could hear shells coming when all my mates couldn't. So they were to watch me. For when I threw myself on the ground, <laughs> they knew one was on its way. Mind you, I tricked them. Then I said, "Listen, this this gift of mine is too good to go unpaid." I want one cigarette of all of you, otherwise I will not throw myself to the ground when I hear a shell coming. I didn't do very well. I did get a few cigarettes. Yes. Did you, um, um, did you sign the, the oath of allegiance to get your, your citizenship and Prince Charles? Well, no, no, I was British in the war. They sent me to the war as a British soldier. And then some idiot, idiot, idiot diplomat or foreign office changed the law so that any, any man born of a father whose father was born in Ireland before 1900, was now no longer British. So I said to this chinless wonder at the foreign office, <laughs> what are you? Well, you look like nothing at all, really. You'll have to, uh, you'll have to uh, apply again. I said, what? Well, you'll write in. I said, no fears, no way. I'm not going to write in. Don't stand in a room full of, full of foreigners of every colour, creed, race, name and things, and me in the middle saying, I promised Take an oath of allegiance to being British. Yeah. So you, you, I, I you, went to the Irish Embassy and I said, Can I be one Irish citizen? And he said, Oh, Jesus, yes, we're awful short of people. <laughs> so I joined him and we had two glasses of, of whiskey and uh, then I became Irish. I'm very pleased with it. You say so you are, you're an Irish citizen? I'm right? an Irish citizen, ah, yes. Peter, yeah. Peter, 
Are you, are you pleased that Prince Charles is such a big fan of yours? I think Does that make any difference? I don't think this is true. He's not a big fan of mine. He just knows about me. That's about it. You've met him, haven't you? I, yes, I've met him. Yes. But, I mean, do, do you like the You won't believe you? this, but I, owing to the sleeping arrangements at his house, <laughs> I slept on the lavatory floor. Did you? Yeah. Oh, well, no, That's I'm not going to say the obvious. Not, no, 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 no. Not many no, people no, no. know that. No. Are you lonely? Yes. I've always been lonely, but I don't know why. Yet you've got four children, you have a family, yeah, and, and, and lots of fans. You walk down the street, people are going to say, hi, a Spike, how are you? No, they don't. They say to me, you're Eric Sykes, aren't you? <laughs> well, I don't mind that. <laughs> but then those chap said to me, you're Peter Sellers. I said, no. I said, he's dead. He said, oh, no, he isn't. So I thought, I don't mind being... Mistaken for somebody alive, mm. but it ought to be mistaken for a corpse. One has one pride in being alive, you know. <laughs> why do you think? <clears throat> why do you think you're lonely? Do you think this is part of your your, your depression? Maybe yes, James. Maybe yes. I. It's very mysterious. It's my illness is possibly the most mysterious, mysterious thing that's happened to me because I don't understand it. It is a total mystery. Even though you've talked to some very eminent people about it and you've been into, into hospitals... I'm a pretty, pretty literate person. You know. Sure, but I mean... And uh, so I've never been short about talking about it. Make the more... It's very nice sometimes when somebody comes when you're on a mental home or the psychiatric ward... Or they don't like to call it a mental or home the now, clinic, or the loony clinic. bin is out as well. Clinic, it's garden clinic. I... Uh, when people, nurses would come in, sometimes they'd sit down and talk to me while I was ill, you know. And that was very, very nice that someone was talking to you. Sometimes I wish they'd have buggered off, actually. <laughs> We've had a lot of letters in. We said we were going to do a programme on depression, and we mentioned it on the air. We had a, a, an enormous amount of letters. And the programme am I, being, am I being serious enough about this? You're being fine. Everything's fine. And what we, we gleaned from the letters was that people seemed to think that they had one event in their life that had triggered off their depressive illness, that it was one thing that they just couldn't get out of their, their mind. Do you, feel, do you think it was the war for you? Do you think that was what set it off? Um, I think it was latent in me, uh, James. All it needed was the trigger. Mm. And being blown up and, and taken to hospital with this deep... Uh, that set it off. I was all right after that, but I was always aware that I was not the same as I was before this incident in the war. Over the years, it's got quite bad, you know. I've just come out of one, uh, which had lasted nearly two, two and a half years. In the end, I, you know, you do consider suicide as a very pleasant option, and that all that stopped me doing it was the fact I could suddenly see all my children standing around my grave, crying, my wife and all that. Uh, so I just sort of like, I couldn't do that to them, you know. You believe in euthanasia, though, don't you? I read somewhere that you... Yes, I think, yes. I've, I've said to my family, yeah. if ever I get to a stage where there's no point in me living, you pull the plug. Yeah. Do you think it should be legalised? I, I think mean? it should be legalised. It's, it's a... It's... A, if you really love someone enough, you will kill them. I totally agree with you. Yeah. What would you say, Spike, to somebody who is depressed watching this? I mean, what, what sort of help or what advice would you give somebody? 
I'd say here's a bottle of 100 milligram lithium pills. Take one a day. You'd say go and see a doctor, basically, and, and rather than just... A lot of people live with their depression. Feel well, there's I'd, nothing you can I'd do about it. I'd say go and see a pretty girl. It's uh, much better than a lot of No, uh, you can see a doctor... Doctor doctor's not it. A psychiatrist knows about the tablets uh, and the vast range of these tablets. There are those which, of course, which are addictive, which you must avoid, and those which are genuinely good drugs. You, we do need, I realise after all these years, that just going and seeing a psychiatrist and saying, I don't feel well and relaxed on it. You do need these mind-bending drugs. They are beneficial. And there we are. That was the interview that James did with Spike Milligan many, many years ago. That uh, video is also available on YouTube. If you want to check the video out, just uh, put in uh, James Wells, Spike Milligan in the YouTube search engine, and I'm sure it will pop up. So let's have a little bit of music now. And I was on Twitter the other day, as I often am, checking things out. And I noticed that Chesney was tweeting his uh, new album, I say new, it actually came out in uh, 2012. And we had him on the show when the album uh, was uh, launched. And I said, well, maybe it's time that we uh, play another one of your tracks. And he said, well, yeah, please, if you, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead. Looking through the track list, I noticed one particular song that caught my eye. And here it is. Because you'll find out that we can 
In different shapes and sizes No one could be myself Like I can For this job I'm the best man But while this may be true You are the one and only I'd rather be I am the one and only You can't take that away from me There we are, see? The one and only acoustic version. That's on the album. There's lots of stuff on the on the album. The album's called Real Life Love. It's obviously available on iTunes and Amazon. So... Where to now? Well, I normally uh, do a bit of tech talk, so uh, this week is no different. And I want to talk to you about this little app that I found. I don't know how long it's been out there, but I, I found it this week. And it's called HQ Trivia. And it, I think it came out end of 2017, so I'm not that far behind the game. Uh, essentially, and it is a game. Um, essentially, it's a quiz show like a normal TV quiz show with contestants, but you're the contestant, and it's live. So you have a live presenter asking the questions, and you've got to answer them within 10 seconds, and there are 13 trivia questions, some easy, ridiculously easy, and some that are really hard. And what you do is... You wait for a specific time in the day. It normally sends you a notification. In the UK, it's around 3 o'clock and then at 9 o'clock. There's two quizzes every day. There's a prize fund. About 100,000 people all join in live. So you'll all be sat around with your smartphones answering these questions. Obviously, if you get one wrong, you're eliminated. You get to the 13th question and there's only about, I don't know, say on average 20 people left to answer the uh, the question because tens of thousands have been eliminated as the questions go along. I'm sure you get the idea. And what happens at the end is you just win the money, uh, a share of the prize pot. At the moment, the prize fund seems to be around the sort of £500 mark. And the last few games that I've had a go at, people have won 175 quid each or 30 quid each. It's a bit like the National Lottery in a way. You just split the winnings and... You get to see who wins. It costs nothing to buy the app, so you just download the app. It's available on Android and iOS. You wait for the notification or start the app up at that specific time of day, whichever time it's scheduled. If you get eliminated, you still get to see the rest of the game. You can get extra lives by tagging some of your friends, inviting them into the game. They give you that will give you an extra life, and you win genuine money. Now, it takes probably about I don't know ten minutes to do the quiz. And you have a genuine chance of winning the prize fund. Obviously, if you're the only one at the end, you win the entire prize fund. And looking at the leaderboards, etc., there's lots of people on there that have won, you know, anything from like a quid up to several thousands of pounds. So why not check it out? Now, this got me thinking, there's got to be a way to cheat. So we're thinking, get a load of people, get a load of phones, um... Three people to answer 
three questions differently. You come up with all these ideas in your head, sit there with Google, you know, and, and, and punch some uh, questions into Google, except you only get 10 seconds to answer the question. And it takes you a while to read the question. So realistically, you've only got about five seconds of uh, Google searching. It's really well protected as far as cheating is concerned. But then I had a bit of a brainwave. What if a camera could sit there like a human watching the screen and watching the question come up on the screen and then take a snapshot of the text, convert the text image into normal text, enter it into Google for you, hit the enter key, scan the results, give you a bar graph with the amount of times the answer appears alongside with the question and give you a visual representation within seconds. So that's what we're working on right now. We've got to the point now where we're, we've got the uh, all the camera recognition and everything sorted. So I'll get back to you on that in a few weeks' time. So uh, who knows? This time next year... I could have a big, big box of jelly tots. Um, so there we go. That's a bit of a tech talk. What else has been happening in tech talk? Well, Snapchat glasses. Do you remember those? Those uh, really horrible looking sunglasses that look like for kids with a uh, camera built in them. Well, they're bringing out a version two, which has got a better camera in the waterproof. They look a lot nicer. Why don't they just make these things in black instead of bright green? I have no idea. Around 150 quid. So you can take uh, snapshots and video while you're out and about, and it'll obviously upload it to Snapchat, so look out for uh, idiots walking around with stupid glasses on. Um, Amazon Echo, uh, our friend Alexa, uh, that's going to have an update that's going to teach us to be a bit more polite. She'll respond better if you say please and thank you. It's actually uh, aimed at kids to teach them uh, better manners. So uh, look out for that update if you've got an Amazon Echo. If she's not answering or not responding, just start saying please. Eventually, we'll have to resort to uh, begging. That'll be the uh, the next uh, update. Uh, Facebook sales are up despite all their bad press. And Vodafone are voted apparently the worst mobile phone operator. I think it's a witch survey. But it all depends on who actually answers the survey, really, isn't it? And if you like using emojis, you'll be pleased to know that the gun emoji has now been changed to a toy gun on the uh, Microsoft platform. They're trying to make emojis essentially less aggressive. So what else do I normally do in this segment? Uh, films. The only film I've seen this week is a film called Rampage, which is a, a film-based version of an old Spectrum game I used to play with a big ape. Um, that goes around breaking stuff. Yeah, it was all right. It it starred um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Um, it's for kids, really. Um, not really much there for adults. Entertaining. One for Blu-ray again. You know, I'm not seeing that many good films. The uh, Han Solo film's out next month, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, there's the Jurassic Park movie that's out. Uh, I'll probably go and see that over the weekend, and I'll let you know how that is next week. So let's move on now to questions for the Robbo. It's usually questions for the whale, but for obvious reasons, it's now questions for the Robbo. Uh, Colin Watkins asked, Who is the most famous person you have met, James? My personal favourite would be Brian Johnson, as he is a true music legend, and I have seen him in ACDC many times. I've met Darth Vader when I was a kid. I met David Prowse 
Uh, he was the Green Cross code man at the time, so he wasn't actually dressed as Darth Vader. But uh, yes, I met, I met uh, Darth Vader, technically. And I got his autograph and everything, which as a child I uh, lost. Uh, so that's, uh, that's not great. I have met a lot of other famous people, but that's the one that sort of uh, stands out, I suppose. Uh, Jonathan uh, Ackworth. Can you become mayor? Yeah, you can become a mayor, obviously, because otherwise the word mayor wouldn't exist in the uh, dictionary. Uh, yes, anyone could become a mayor. You just have to put yourself forward. It usually helps if you're quite well known in your local community. And if you want to become, like, the London mayor, I suppose you have to be some sort of politician or celebrity. I would imagine it's very hard to uh, become the London mayor if you've never been heard of. Carrie Oddie. That used to be my uh, nickname in school. Not Carrie, but Oddie. I used to be called Oddie for some reason. Uh, can you stop Steve Wright singing over tunes, James? Um, well, I suppose James could ask him to stop singing. I do know what you mean, though. I don't listen to Steve Wright much. I have in the past listened to him, and I know exactly what you mean. Usually as the song fades out, he starts singing over the end of it. A lot of people do that, to be fair. Um, and if you don't like his voice, I can understand that it probably would get a bit grating if he does it on every song that's played. Uh, Linda Warsnop. With this massive increase in building across the country, are standards being eroded by the big boys like, I'll say, carrots, and in your guess then what she's written, uh, do the councils have the tools to watch them as closely as they may be need watching? Um, building regulations, I think, are getting tougher and tougher. Uh, the methods of putting buildings together are getting better. Materials are getting better all the time. No, I, I think uh, houses are, are pretty decent. Everything's pretty much standard now, isn't it? Your PVC windows, your composite doors and your concrete foundations and your tile roofs or your slate roofs. and A lot of houses now, you can literally go online and buy a set of plans that are approved for 100 quid. On the internet, that's the way things are going. A lot. I mean, you can even buy houses and they'll just get delivered. People like um, Carrots, you know, they do these kind of things day in, day out. Maybe at the start, when these companies first started, I'm sure we've all heard disaster stories about new estates that have been built with loads of issues. But as years have gone on, you learn from mistakes, don't you? So I can't, I can't imagine that the uh, standards are being eroded. So... Uh, Unless you've got a story you want to tell us, obviously get in touch, jameswellradio at gmail.com, and uh, we'll have another stab at the question again. Okay, next question. Gemma Hughes, are the two immature presenters on The One Show really worth their combined salary of a million pounds? Um, I don't watch The One Show. That's not strictly true. Occasionally when there's a celebrity on that I'm interested in that's going to be on the one show i'll tune in fast forward watch the interview and then turn it off uh, so i don't actually get to see probably what you're seeing the one show's on the bbc so technically we're paying for that so no they're not worth the combined salary of a million pounds obviously i'd hope that they were getting paid evenly but not uh five hundred thousand pounds each that's ridiculous. Um, we'd all have a job like that, wouldn't we? Sitting down for a couple of hours in an evening. That's a lot of money. 
A lot, a lot of money. So for two immature people being paid a million pounds, I suppose not. Um, that said, zig and zag, if they bring them back, you know, the uh, the two puppets from the uh, the big breakfast on Channel 4, I'd quite happily see them get £500,000 each. Um, they're immature and they're funny. Well, they are in my opinion anyway. Um, and finally, Stavros Big. How does a man who drives a snowplow get to work in the morning? Maybe he lives on site with his snowplow. Maybe he has a little snowplow stored in his garage at home and he drives that. A bit like one of them sit-on lawnmowers with a little um, scooper on the front and uh, he'll, he'll drive to work in that. He could, of course, walk to work, get a taxi, then it's someone else's responsibility to get him there, I suppose. Helicopter, that's another way of getting there. Um, maybe he's a subcontractor and the snowplow is his, so he's got it parked in the driveway, ready for a snow day. But I think the real answer is just planning, uh, planning ahead watching some weather reports, getting to work way before the snow gets too bad. I think that's the answer. Now, I'm going to have to go in a minute. And before I do, I want to share a bit of news with you. Now, I've already told James this. In fact, James was the second person I told. The first person I told this bit of news to was my wife. And that was that she was pregnant. It sounds a bit strange, I know, but uh, I noticed my wife was acting a bit different. And I kept on saying to her, look, you're pregnant. She goes, no, 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 I'm not. She goes, yeah, 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 you're pregnant. And I was saying this for about three weeks and eventually she did a test and it came back positive. And then on Monday this week, we went for our first scan and we got to see its little legs flapping around and we're both very happy. And it's our second child. Um, our first is uh, actually uh, 10 years old. So there's a huge gap. So my daughter's looking forward to the new arrival, which will be in November. So that's uh, a bit of good news to finish the programme with. So I will go now. The show's a little bit shorter, obviously, than it usually is because I've got through all the bits that I needed to do. There was no James. So if there's a radio station putting this show out, I'm sure they'll pad the remaining time with some really nice music. So stay tuned. Don't forget to visit the website. Check out all the videos there. There's loads and loads of his old TV programmes on there. And also check out the shop. There's a book there you can buy. It's £5 at the moment, usually £6.50. But for £5, you'll get a signed copy of James's book delivered by me, but only to the post office. The uh, postman does the rest of the journey. So until next week, thank you very much for putting up with me. Goodbye.
to the James Well Radio Show. For more information, visit www.jameswellradio.co.uk. Why not check us out on facebook.com slash jameswellradioshow or follow James on Twitter at the James Whale. James Whale, the voice of reason.